Hello there, you're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host. Today we are speaking with Art Barter, owner and CEO of Daytron World Communications and founder and CEO of the Servant Leadership Institute. Daytron World Communications is a 30-year-old privately owned company located in Vista, California. Daytron manufactures tactical military and public safety radio equipment to a diverse worldwide customer base in over 80 countries. The company produces HF and VHF military and commercial voice and data radio products, a complete line of radios for the public safety market, and a network of solutions support staff. After purchasing Daytron World Communications in 2004, Art upended the company's traditional power-led management culture and replaced it with a servant leadership model that he had developed. After years of hard work, not only were the employees of Daytron happier, they were more efficient. As a result, Daytron grew from a $10 million to a $200 million company in only six years. In order to spread his passion for servant leadership, Art founded the Servant Leadership Institute at 2010. Since its inception, the Institute has developed curriculum geared toward empowering others to become effective servant leaders, and they have their own podcast. Art, welcome to the show. Hi, Catherine. Great to be with you and great to be with your audience. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Would you talk a little bit about your career in manufacturing? What were you doing before Daytron? Well, you know, I, I love to build things, and I didn't discover that until uh, my mid-20s when I left a good job at Disney. I worked at Disney for about eight years and went to work for a small manufacturing company up in Orange County uh, here in California. And they were building uh, the printers that print the funny-looking characters at the bottom of your check, micro characters. And I was mentored by two gentlemen, one mechanical uh, engineer, machine shop type person, and another one, the head of engineering from the electrical side. And I learned that I love to build products, and I've been building products ever since. And so I've built uh, the microprinters. I've built uh, floppy diskettes. I worked for a manufacturer of floppy diskettes. Um, I've worked for a high-performance motor manufacturing company that's made motors from half inch in diameter up to our largest was for a telescope in Italy, um, the Galileo telescope. Those motors were probably about 10 feet in diameter. Um, and so I, I, I just love building things. And uh, I had this opportunity to go to work for Daytron back in 1997. And they, they back then they were doing 90% of their business outside the United States. And I went, Okay, where are they doing business? And I looked at their website, and they talked about uh, Bangladesh, uh, Sri Lanka, uh, Botswana. And I said, I have to go to work for that company just to find out where those countries are. <laughs> I had no idea where some of them were. Um, so I came to work for them in 97. And we were public at the time. We were bought out by Titan, a public company. And then under Titan, I had the opportunity to buy the, buy the company in 2004. And so... You know, I've been building things uh, since about my 25 years old. Uh, I'm in my 60-somethings. Actually, I'm 66. And uh, I just love to build. I love to work for companies that build things. And I've done that most of my career. Uh, so a lot of it in the, in the, in the defense arena mm -hmm. and uh, some in commercial. 
but mostly international government security type organizations. And I, and I love what I do. I just love it. So on paper, it uh, appears as if the company was one thing. When you got there, what issues did you witness? Well, when I when I started in 97, we were uh, on a campus in uh, Escondido, just east of us, in five different buildings. Now, <clears throat> in a large company, that's probably okay because you can get all the people to work together inside a building, but we were a small company. And, you know, we had ad administration and engineering in one building. They got along great. We had manufacturing in another building. We had our stock room um, shipping, receiving in another building. We had purchasing off in the corner. And we had a customer service group that would, had their own little area running it like a little company. And I didn't see a lot of traffic going in between the buildings, a lot of walking and talking. What I saw was a lot of emails and a lot of misunderstandings. And the first thing I, I wanted to do was to create some bridges between the buildings and start talking to people. And so the biggest challenge back then was people weren't working and talking together. And if, you, if you're not talking to, to each other, you can't build trust and you certainly can't create a high performing team. And, you know, we had to build the bridge across the parking lots to, to start creating those good relationships so we can perform better. Now, from a cultural standpoint, uh, in that environment, uh, everyone was working to their own agenda. Mm -hmm. uh, they were more concerned about making sure that their individual or their group wasn't wasn't looked upon in a negative way. Um, a lot of politics, um, and you know, it was just a not a great environment to really perform in. And you know, when I started, I liked the people. But I discovered all these other people in other buildings, and I went, well, nobody talks about these, these folks. And what I found out is the people really didn't like each other. And that just created for a very, very difficult environment, especially in a public company, where you have to go through results every 90 days. Um, and that just put a, a, a lot more pressure on people to perform in a not great environment. Um, the one thing I remember about the CEO back then was every Thursday, I think at 10 o'clock, he walked around the building and talked to everybody in all the buildings. And people loved that. Mm -hmm. But what he didn't do was give them what they needed. He didn't have good benefits. He didn't pay people good. Um, he It was more important for him to walk around and say hi to people than, than, to, than to meet their basic needs of medical care, and a good salary so they could they could get ahead. Um, not a lot of benefits for people. And I thought, hmm, uh, this is something that I'd like to change over time. And so that's kind of the environment I, wa I walked into. It was a suit and tie environment. And in California, suit and tie, that's, you know, today, anybody who walks in a suit causes all kinds of havoc in our environment because everybody wants to know who the suits are. Oh, a little bit different culture here. <laughs> Yeah, a little, little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, so when you were moving from um, trying to remove the silos and build the bridges, was that something you decided to take on your own, or was it something that management had uh, agreed to, or were you in a situation where you saw this you, and you started to move and then there was pushback? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. You, you have to take a couple of steps forward and then take, take a few steps back. And what I... <clears throat> my first 
initiative was to um, find financing for some of our international customers. And my first project was to go into Zimbabwe and find a $15 million financing package so we could provide them radios. And I met a gentleman there, his name was Eric. He worked in the police department. And I said, Eric, how can I help you? And he says, well, Art, we don't have a great president. We're gonna have demonstrations when it comes election time. And he says, I'd love to control those demonstrations with great communications so I don't have to use other methods. And I said, Eric, we'll help you do that. Now, that was the first time that I focused on someone else's need because I was brought up in the power world. And in the power world, you just think about yourself. But, you know, meeting Eric, here's a guy in a very difficult situation, very difficult economy, and he wanted to do the right thing. And he was looking for a partner to help him do it. Now, I brought that back to the organization, told that story. And I think that was the first time that they had heard about a story in the field about how we were helping a customer. And that started me down a path of, you know, I really need to share stories with people in the organization so they get feedback on why their work is valuable. And so we started doing that in little groups. I didn't have supportive leadership to do that because they were a, a, a public company that said, hey, I've got to get results. And so we started in, in little pockets. And over time, I developed some respect and trust with people that allowed me when I bought the company in 2004 to move forward in a new culture in a very positive way. So little steps in little groups uh, with people who were ready for change, but didn't have the buy-in of the corporate leaders or the division leader that I worked for. Once you took over the reins, uh, what processes did you implement to, um, you know, to build or innovate new products, but also how to, you know, develop the new processes that would you know, get the workforce engaged? So here's, here's, here's where we really took a little uh, right turn in culture. We bought the company in November of 2004. And so we spent a couple of months redefining the mission and purpose of the company. And what we decided our purpose was, and really it was about finding the new why for the company. Why did we do business? Why were we gonna be a, a private company versus public company? And what we focused on was serving other people. And so our purpose is to positively impact the lives of others today and in the future. And we put in the future at the end of that because we wanted to develop a relationship with our customers, not just sell them a product and then disappear until the next time they needed products. So we wanted to serve them from beginning to end, uh, make sure they had a very positive experience. Um, our mission to do that ended up being a, we wanted to be a profitable, self-sustaining company. Um, and that was the way we were, gonna, we were gonna accomplish our purpose. Now there's a lot, of, lot that goes into that. It's not, not that easy. Um, but we had to start with a great purpose uh, and let our employees live that purpose. Now, what we did in 2005 is we said, how are we going to let our employees live this purpose? Because they can't travel to an international country and see the, the, the look on our customer's face when we actually serve them. So we, we developed the Daytron Charitable Fund. We started that in 2005. And we contribute 10% of our operating profits into that fund every quarter. Now, where we ended up being a lot different 
is our employees are the only ones that can direct where those funds go. And the reason we did that is, listen, we weren't the only ones providing the knowledge and the wherewithal to get that profit. Everybody in the company was helping develop that profit. And so we said we want the employees to be able to give back to nonprofits who have impacted their lives or impacted those around them that they love so they can give back to those organizations that are close to their hearts. And, you know, when we started that, we thought this is a great way for them to live the purpose. We never imagined the stories that would come out of that or the amount of money that, that this group would give away. And that's how the company uh, lives its purpose. Now, from a business standpoint, <clears throat> excuse me, what we decided uh, in the first year, my team asked me, Art, how, how much do you want to grow? Which is a fair question in a, in a regular business. And I told them, I said, I'm never going to tell you how much I want to grow. And they said, well, you have to tell us what your revenue is going to be next year so we can plan expenses to support that. And I said, no, I'm never going to tell you what our revenue number is going to be in the next 12 months. What I want you to do is go out and serve our customers to the best of your ability uh, in focusing on our values and what we do as a company and let our customers decide how fast we will grow with their checkbooks by coming back and ordering more products. And so, you know, that took a little little time to get used to because my team wasn't, they weren't ready for that. Mm-hmm. And they said, how, how, do, how are we supposed to put, put together a plan? And I said, Let, that will take care of itself. Let's just go after and serve our customers. And we spent about two years focus on developing the culture we wanted and serving customers to the best of our ability. And what we found was when you serve a customer and you do it from the heart and not the pocketbook and the customer recognizes that, they will come back to you time and time again to buy products from you. Even in times where maybe your products aren't what they're expecting or what they want in options, but they want to do business with the company and its culture and its people. And that's happened over and over again. And what I love about that, Catherine, is our competition doesn't understand how we do that because we serve from the heart, not the pocketbook. A little bit ahead of your time with the way that uh, the corporate culture has gone. Uh, so, um, so when did you decide to help other leaders use the servant leadership approach with their companies and organizations? Well, when we started down this path in servant leadership, we... Um, went out uh, to the uh, consulting world and academic world, and and we were looking for someone to help us implement servant leadership. And some of the materials we found were a little bit shy in helping people do it. There were a lot of people who would teach you about it, mm-hmm. but we couldn't find very many uh, implementation-type programs. So we decided to invest our own money and develop that implementation process. And so... We spent about half a million dollars developing our own internal training program that uh, was broken down into three modules, 15 hours each. So we trained everyone in the company 45 hours in servant leadership. Hmm. Now, it took us about two years to get the first two modules um, completed with everyone in the company. And then we said, you know, before we do the third one where we try and pull everything together, let's find out how we did in the first two training sessions. So we hired a PhD out of Berkeley uh, who specialized in education evaluation. 
and she came in, did a did a, um, a study survey of all our employees, and we found that some of the people who were trained to think with their head, i.e., engineers, <laughs> had a very difficult time thinking from their hearts. And our salespeople who are used to being visionary and, and out there, they weren't having any problem with it. They were just having a difficult time implementing it because they were, they were remote employees. Um, and so we looked at all the transformational behaviors and came up with, these are the nine behaviors that really we saw the best transformation in. Um, in the transformation that stuck, not the fastest, but the best that really changed people's behaviors and the organization's behaviors. And so in that process, um, all the training probably took us about four years to complete along with the survey. So it's not a short-term fix. And so we started in 05. We didn't know what we were doing in 05, 06. We were gathering things, started the training program. And that's when we really started to see the culture uh, take hold and change uh, because people people knew that we were serious about changing this culture into something different. Now, did that answer your question? I kind of, I kind of gave you a lot there, but um, um, I hope that answered your question for your, your listeners. That did. And uh, all the, when you ended up going into that, that deep dive on the research and finding out a way how to implement it and to develop the nine behaviors, uh, I'm, uh, I'll, I'm making a big assumption here, but did did that further inform your work with your own company? Uh, it did. We saw amazing, um, amazing growth, but but more than just the growth, what we saw when people grew within themselves, then the team would grow um, together. Now, the interesting part is. What I didn't anticipate was everyone transforms at a different different speed. Mm -hmm. And everybody, yeah, some people didn't believe in servant leadership. Some people said, hey, this is great, let's go. And I had a team of about 32 leaders that were transforming at different speeds. And I still had to get results. I still had to make payroll. And you know, people tell me servant leadership soft, and I tell them it's the most difficult thing I've ever done because I had to change the culture, focused on something that wasn't traditional in the traditional business world. And then I had to get results at the same time and keep payroll going. Now, that was a difficult difficult thing to do. And still still is challenging because, you know, we have, have people who join us that go, this servant leadership isn't, isn't good. And I go, well, then you need to go work for someone else because you're not gonna be happy here. If it's all about you, you're not gonna be happy here. So um, now, what was your original question, Catherine? I, I, you can tell I love talking about this and, yes. and what we learned. So um, yeah, I hope I answered the question for you. You did answer the question about how okay. right. form the, forming the servant leadership further informed your work with your own company. Yep. What are some of the most striking transformations that have come from those who have worked uh, through the system at the Servant Leadership, and so I probably shouldn't call it a system, you know, through the process at the Servant Leadership Institute to improve their management approach. Yeah, you know, it, it's, um, I, we saw personal growth in people who 
didn't know how to have good relationships with people. Um, they were they were possibly you know standoffish. Uh, they just wanted to tell people what to do. Uh, their approach was, hey, do what I tell you to do, or I'll find somebody who who will do what I, I tell them to do. And we saw those leaders transform in themselves first and change their own behaviors first. And where we saw the 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 best transformation in those difficult leaders was when they took servant leadership home and applied it to uh, the family or those that they loved the most. And we saw a great transformation when people took it home and, and said, you know what, I'm going to try this with my teenager because I don't have a good relationship with them. And when they saw a change in at home, they went, wow, this stuff, this stuff is great. I can really get on board with this. Um, it was amazing to see the personal transformations. And then it was amazing to see how the teams came together and said, you know what? I don't need management to tell me what to do. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to inspire you and equip you. And then as your CEO, I'm going to get out of the way because I've given you everything you need to be successful. You do the work you know what the challenges are. You know what the roadblocks are. Go fix it. And let me know if you need any help. And, and I go from directing the work to supporting the work. And when I do that, people stand up and take that challenge on. And they do amazing things when you really empower them, you really inspire them, and you give them everything, equip them with what they, and then you step out of the way and let them go and cut them loose. And those are the stories that probably mean the most to me is when I see individuals get to the point where they don't need me anymore. They don't need me to be around. I can, I can sit and do a podcast with you, Catherine, because I'm not needed in every meeting that goes on at Daytron or SLI, because I believe my job is to, is to inspire them, equip them, and then cut them loose and let them go take care of business. And that's the most rewarding thing to me is when people are really performing at the, at the potential I believe they can perform at. Um, some people have a tough time believing in themselves, but man, when I can get them to believe in themselves and have them perform at that level, it is very special. It's very special for a leader to uh, see that in their folks and in their performance. Have you seen this happen in manufacturing? I mean, of course, you have your own company, but in, in other leaders of, of other uh, companies? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I've I got some of my inspiration from Toro. Um, they're a great um, servant-led organization. Um, I've got some smaller companies here that in a small machine shop environment, they, they, they're, they're doing absolute wonderful things because when you can get productivity up, in a manufacturing environment and you can teach people how to find the root cause and I'm talking about the root cause of issues they're having in the process and you let the people who who are doing the manufacturing work the assembly and testing let them determine what the root cause is instead of some management guy that sits up in an office who thinks they know the process when you really turn that over to them that's when the real problems get fixed. Not the problems that everybody thinks they have, but the real problems get fixed. And so in a manufacturing environment, you know, the things that matter, you know, how much scrap are you um, 
creating through your process? How many times do you have to touch that product in manufacturing? What's your rework? Um, do I have any material variances? Do I have any labor variances? Uh, what am I doing to uh, resolve those? Um, it takes a different approach. And some people will say, well, that's ISO and, and um, you know, that's a quality program. I say, no, it's deeper than that because it really is about letting people who know how to build the product be the ones that identify the root cause and solve for the root cause. Now, I will tell my people all the time, don't put me on the line. Don't let me build radios. Don't let me test radios because they're going to be messed up <laughs> because that's not my core uh, gift. I'm not gifted at assembling radios. Um, you put the people who do the work the best in that job. And then, like I said, inspire them, give them everything they need, and then let them go do the job. And you will see productivity go through the roof. Because I believe the less you have leadership involved in that process, the faster it will get done and the less costly it will be. That's great. If there's one thing that company leaders should take from the lessons learned at Servant Leadership Institute, what would that be? Well, I would, I would encourage a couple of things. I would encourage people to really look in the mirror and say, it's not about you. Uh, servant leadership is not about you as the leader. Um, it really is about how you're going to serve other people and how you're going to help them be successful. And, you know, we, we'd like to focus on the success in the company, but you know, there's also a success in personal life. Um, and I share with leaders all the time. I don't know of any company who's been successful in asking their employees to check their personal life at the door. Their personal life always comes into the work life. And so people like to talk about work-life balance. I like to talk about uh, life-work integration hmm. and integrate the two because, you know, really what we do as servant leaders is we help people through the unfolding of life's events. And it's not just work events. It's about life's events because when someone's challenged personally and they're looking for some help and it's help you can provide, um, and help that individual and, and they will be an employee forever because someone took the time to care about them and really want to help them be a better person. Um, so remember when you're leading people, it's really about helping them through the unfolding of life's events. And that's what servant leadership is all about. We help people, we treat people with dignity and respect. And uh, above all, we don't get to pick and choose who we serve. We serve every life that we come in contact with. Whether we agree with that life or not, it, it doesn't matter. We don't get to pick and choose. When you have a life enter your life, my heart is to help that person be better and feel better after they come in contact with me. Well, with all of this transformation and being at the top of your game, what what's next? What's next for the, the company, for Servant Leadership Institute, for you? What what are you looking out at and, and seeing on the horizon? Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll start with Daytron. And um, Daytron, we've just just come out with our last product in a full digital-based product world. We just came out with the last handheld product that we need. Um, and so we're moving away from 
uh, the old technology into a brand new digital technology. And so that challenge is very interesting in, in this digital world because everybody wants the latest and greatest technology. But the challenging part is not everybody can use the latest and greatest technology. So, for example, something that you may provide to the U.S. military can't be used with the military um, in Africa or in the Middle East or in Asia or in Latin America unless they're one of the top tier militaries in the world. And most of them aren't. And so you give them a product that's difficult to use, they're not going to use all that technology, yet they're being asked to pay for it. So we provide technology that is affordable to the customer that meets their needs in the international marketplace. And so our focus is on serving them with new digital products and then expanding our markets into other parts of the world where we haven't been able to compete before because we didn't have the digital products. So it's going to be an exciting time. We our, our product we just introduced, we have four new patents on it. First time in the company history that we've gotten patents. Uh, we're very excited about that. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a different world. And I think servant leadership has given us a great, great base to build upon because we all have a common purpose. Um, and that makes life a whole lot easier. In, in Servant Leadership Institute, I, you know, we really want to focus on people who want to implement servant leadership. But some of the studies we're doing is what's the resistance to change that people have and why do they have that resistance? So we're, we're doing uh, a lot of reading and research on, and we call them the files that people bring with them based on their experiences in both their personal and work life. And a lot of time, those negative experiences that they didn't didn't happen at your company, but they happened three companies ago, could have an impact on how that individual life uh, assimilates into a servant-led culture. Mm -hmm. And so, we're doing a lot more on, you know, the space between the ears and the, and the negative files people carry, so we can help them get better uh, faster. And then. We've got this new digital world as well. And for servant leadership, uh, that means we do a lot more podcasts. We're going to do our first training online here pretty soon. Um, and we're looking at ways on how to use a digital platform to help educate people rather than have everybody fly from all over the country um, into San Diego and you know limit ourselves to 250, 300 people a year in our conference. We think we can get this message out to a lot more people uh, using digital platforms. And so really, as a, we're trying to adjust to the future and where everybody is doing business in this digital world and serving the, be the best we can. All right. It has been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Catherine. And again, thank you so much. Uh, Manufacturing is a passion of mine. Servant leadership is a passion. And when I get to talk about them together, um, you can tell it's hard to it's hard to make me be quiet. Yeah, that um, I'm I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing uh, what you come up with next. All right, Catherine, keep up the great work. I love people that uh, really focus on manufacturing. So um, keep it up. We need it. We need more manufacturing jobs here in the U.S.